The reading is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Thank you very much. How we go? Good evening, everyone. Please keep Bibles open, page 1202. I don't know if you felt slightly disoriented by the new translations of Psalm 8. If you did, don't worry. Um, I I don't think they've done too much damage. We're all right. Um, I'm going to pray as we get underway. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we pray that by your spirit this evening, you would work in our hearts and help us individually, help us together to pay the most careful attention to your word, to pay the most careful attention to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, here's a nice, uncontroversial word to start with. Bet you can guess what it is. Brexit. I don't know what you feel about that. My guess is it's a strong feeling. I think even if you're ambivalent about it, you'd have to strongly hold your ambivalence in the face of so much coverage. Only it's not just the original question now and what you thought about it when it first came up. Now, just as controversial, perhaps, is what is happening or may happen in Parliament in the coming days. And people who had differing views on the original question may have quite similar views over the constitutional issues that may be raised. It is really remarkable to see people talking about Parliament taking charge of its business instead of the government and then to hear other people respond to that by saying, oh, well, if that happens, the monarch could just intervene. You know, that is quite remarkable. I find it fascinating. I, I, I can tell from your faces you do equally <laughs> find it fascinating. So that we're in a situation where a basic question that A-level politics students might get asked about how laws get passed in the UK may lo- no longer seem so basic. They may need to change the marking scheme. The question of who governs has suddenly become a real live question again. And we see people trying to govern. I don't think anyone can say they're not trying their best. It just seems an impossible task. Efforts are frustrated. But actually, frustration like that is encountered in all areas of life, at all levels. In many ways, at the political level, we ought to just be grateful to God that our government doesn't get into such difficulty more often. 
because it is a common experience for all of us as we try, as we're created to, to govern our own little bit of the world, only we meet with frustration again and again and again. So you work down from national to local government, the vast majority of councillors, I'm sure, are trying their best to make things better. They get frustrated in their efforts for all sorts of reasons, um, maybe just simply lack of resources and time. You go down to parish councils, schools, local services, full of people trying very hard, full of frustrations for all sorts of reasons. It's true in church structures and leadership. Oh, the things we could do with more time and more resources, and if everything just worked and that hadn't happened and they hadn't said that and so on and so on. And then just down to our own lives. How many weeks go by just as you planned they would? Does that ever happen? You're trying your best to to govern your little bit of the world. I'm not saying we're trying to be God. I'm just saying as we're made to, to sort of govern our little bit of the world, manage our home, our commitments, work, bills, tax returns. Give time to your family, your friends, maybe all the creative things that you feel God has gifted you for, projects that you're doing, research you're doing, and so on and so on. Things that you're learning, new skills, hobbies, etc. Does that just get a little bit frustrated now and again, often? Humanity is frustrated in trying to do just what we feel we should be doing at every level, from political right down to the individual. And I haven't even mentioned sin up to this point. If you're trying to live for God according to his ways, you can't even govern your own heart as you'd like to. It gets hold of you. It says, right, well, I think I'm going to be in charge of the business that's going to be before her, before us. And you're looking to the king of the universe to intervene in your own little constitutional crisis. And flying in the face of all of that, it would seem, are two things that the Bible tells us pretty centrally that it holds to be true. Number one, humanity was made to rule. We were given a special place in God's creation, created in his image, made to be responsible stewards. And in a sense, it should be subject to us. And number two, Jesus is supreme. He's exalted. He is on the throne. He's in charge. And you take those two things that are pretty clear in the Bible and you compare them with the way things are, where on one level it seems impossible for me to govern my own heart, right up to the political situation we currently have, maybe beyond that to the seemingly complete inability we have to relate to our planet in any sensible way. And you see these things from the Bible and you say, really? Now the point about Jesus being supreme, that's been stressed throughout the first chapters of Hebrews. You really can't have missed it. So you may be wondering why I've also brought in this um, idea of frustrated humanity and our problems with government, rather than just simply asking the one question, why isn't it more obvious that Jesus is supreme? 
in the world. But this bit of chapter two just starts to make clear. These two things are linked. Why do we not see Jesus more obviously in charge now? And why does the Bible seem to think humanity has some special place in ruling over creation when at every level we just seem so bad at it? Those two questions are linked. And they link together as we see humanity's frustrated purpose now fulfilled in Jesus. And if you want to rescue humanity from being in this frustrated state where we were made to govern and yet for so many reasons we can't, to being as we were meant to be, Jesus is the one you look to. He is the ideal human being. He's the pioneer. You look to him, follow him, and you're following him into the new world order to come, where we will no longer be frustrated humanity, but fulfilled humanity. And there you go, two headings for tonight. Frustrated humanity, fulfilled humanity. Firstly, frustrated That's the first four verses, five to eight. Verse five, as as it's read out, as you look at it again there, you may find that a bit confusing at first and wonder what really that's there for, what it's saying. Well, it's really continuing from the end of chapter one, where, as you may remember, it was thoroughly established that Jesus is superior to angels. The first four verses of chapter two, in some sense, just a little pause to step back and draw out A big application from that. And now we pick up the argument again with another reason Jesus is superior to angels. Namely, that the world to come is not subjected to angels, but subjected to Jesus. And yet you may still think, yeah, but, okay, why say that? Well, you, you read books like Daniel and others in the Old Testament, and you get a picture of reality behind the scenes where it's pretty clear that angels are very much involved in how God governs the nations. And then if I tell you at at this point there were Jewish sects that believed that the new world to come would also be subjected to angels, you can start to see why um, verse 5 is there. No, says verse 5, it's not true. The world to come, the new creation, in which everything is going to be put right, is subject to Jesus. So he's superior there as well. But then... The writer does something quite amazing, as though he suspects that we haven't yet quite grasped our place in all of this. God's purposes for humanity. We've been, we've been speaking so far about how exalted Jesus is. And it's almost as if he's saying, have you just forgotten that the Jesus I'm talking about here is a man? Fully God, yes. Fully man. Flesh and blood. So you're wondering about this. You have to pretend like you're the recipients of the letter here. You guys, you're all wondering about a new world order and who it will be subject to. Let's take a step back. Isn't there something in the Bible about the world being subject to mankind? That could be quite interesting. And so we go into... Psalm 8, this quote from Psalm 8 here. And yes, we're going to see in a moment 
what these verses tell us about Jesus. But remember, in the first instance, these verses were about us, about humanity. They will become about Jesus because he became a man. So it says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man, that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. How amazing it is, pondered the psalmist. You look at the vast scale of the universe and doesn't it just make humanity seem so small on the one hand? That is the line of thought that's often pursued in, in, in science documentaries, often, you know, and, and it's just left there. You know, we're really small, insignificant. And yet on the other hand, says the psalmist, we have been given an extraordinary dignity in the physical creation. God is especially mindful of us. He cares for us. We're just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. Everything put under our feet. And then a little extra commentary from the, the, the writer of the letter here to say, yes, yes, everything. You see it there, how he says. That was God's purpose for us to be stewards of creation, not just some of it, but all of it. And of course, this is harking back to Genesis 1. God makes male and female in his image and says, be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. And however many years after that, the writer of Psalm 8 is celebrating that this is still in some sense fundamentally true. And then however many hundreds of years after that, the author to the Hebrews says, yeah, but in what sense? As verse 8 concludes, yet at present, we do not yet see everything subject to them. Which you don't really need convincing of, do you? We are a frustrated humanity and everything is not subject to us in the way it was originally meant to be. I can't govern my heart as I would like, so I sin against God. I fail to love him as I should, I fail to love you as I should. You're like that as well. So you put us together and we get some level of cooperation, but we also get suspicion, lack of trust, conflict from time to time. You scale that up, you get wars, you add in greed, love for self over love of neighbor, you get injustice. Some people with far too much food, others starving. You look around the world and you see how in every level we fail in our stewardship. Ecological disasters, buildings that catch fire and trap people when it really shouldn't happen in this day and age and in that particular city. Spectacularly poor management of the environment. And yet even if you took sin as a fact, uh, out as a factor in those um, individual cases, you, you still see frustration, don't you? Just think about technology. A great example of how we take things from the material creation and we put them together in a such a way to do amazing things. How often does it just not work and no one knows why? Another example, antibiotics were in the news this week. Another great thing that people have done in making something that helps others get over infection. However wisely or not you use them, they just get frustrated by these superbugs that come along. Even with the best will in the world, 
we do not see everything in subjection to humanity, and we do not have the best will in the world. We can't govern the world, we can't govern each other, we can't govern ourselves. It's not about trying to be God, it's just trying to do what we were made to do. It's all frustrated. Humanity is frustrated. And I bet you feel it. But then you look to Jesus. And you see the ideal human. And in him, the new world to come, you see humanity fulfilled, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who has fulfilled this psalm. And then you get to go back through it, and you see how it was all about him as well, as the ideal human being. You imagine how exciting this was in the early church, reading back over the psalms. You come to Psalm 8, and it blows your mind. <laughs> being made a little lower than the angels. Now that's, that's Jesus' humiliation. That's his incarnation, becoming one of us like us, in every respect, save without sin. Now crowned with glory and honor. That's his exaltation. When he returned to heaven in glory, that's his supremacy over every other being in the universe, which chapter one spent so much time talking about. What's the thing in between? What gets you from one to the other? What gets you from frustrated to fulfilled? What ended his humiliation and began his exaltation? His death. He suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's how humanity frustrated gets to humanity fulfilled. One person at a time acknowledging that Jesus' death was for them. Now that is a theme that will get developed much more as Hebrews goes on. But the whole reason we are in this state of being frustrated is that humanity became estranged from God on the day when humanity asserted itself over God, caused a rift throughout the whole creation order, a separation between people and God, and the intrusion of death. So we needed a priest to bring us back together. And the one who does that well, he's uniquely qualified to bring God and man together because he is God and man. He became our sacrifice. Again, much more on that to come in Hebrews. But for now, just marvel at this. That there he is, at the right hand of the majesty of God, human, fully God, and yes, still, fully man, flesh and blood. There is a human being exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, do you think that might have pretty big implications for us? You Hebrews, why do you got strange ideas about angels? It's humanity's story that this was all about. No, says the person who listens out for mistakes in sermons. Must be Jesus's story. Surely must be. Not humanities. Well, actually, the two have just become linked. Now, we are not the Son. We are not God, obviously. We're not saying that. Rather, simply, but how wonderfully, 
that in Jesus, humanity is restored. He is the head of a new humanity where we fulfill our purpose in a new creation order, which will in the long term be fully revealed, even as we start to get glimpses of it now in his people. We do get glimpses of it. Humanity as it's meant to be, ruling, stewarding as it's meant to, in those who bow the knee to Jesus, in the church, as the needy are cared for, and justice is sought, and the environment is cherished. You can see examples of this through the centuries, how you have seen humanity, a glimpse of it as it's meant to be in God's people. You want to taste what that fulfillment is like? You come to the Lord Jesus and be part of it then in the new creation forever. Where does humanity reach its fulfillment? Private education, shouts the average Cambridge parent. No. No, in, in Jesus. And private education, says the occasional Christian parent. No, it's not a prerequisite. In Jesus. Private education isn't bad. But humanity is fulfilled in Jesus. Maybe so far you've seen Hebrews as a book which was all about Jesus up there. And it's great that we get to gaze at him and admire him and one day we'll be there, we'll we'll be close to him, but it will still be, you know, there's Jesus over there and you stand here and just admire him. And that would be more than okay. That would be wonderful. But do you see what's coming to our attention here? We're getting caught up in this. Our story is getting swept up into his story. In fact, he has redeemed our story by stepping into it, by uniting himself with it. Our story was frustrated. It was only ever going to end in tragedy. He has stepped into it, assumed all that tragedy to himself and brought it through into a glorious new chapter. This is a story where, in next week's passage, he's about to be called our pioneer. Now, a pioneer doesn't go somewhere to be admired by others from afar. A pioneer goes somewhere so that others can follow and be there too. There is a human being in the heavenly places. He is the head of a new creation order. He is our pioneer. We will rule under him and with him. Now, what is the answer to Brexit? (laughs) And any constitutional crisis that may arise in the coming days? Short term, I have no idea. Long term, and to all the other questions which we ask, which merely represent the frustration of humanity at all levels. The answer is Jesus. Do you see him as the one who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, 
because he tasted death for you. If you do, you follow him to your fulfillment, our fulfillment, together, a new humanity in him. Let us pray. And just a moment of quiet to consider whether we have seen Jesus in those terms, whether we have bowed the knee to him, whether we do seek our fulfillment in him. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray that our lives would be for your glory. Knowing your presence with us, being united with you. Amen.